few moments ago when I was introducing the reading um, of this chapter, I said we were going to read the whole psalm. I have been thinking about this over the last sort of week or so, um, and this, even though it's not in the psalms, it very clearly is a psalm. It follows exactly the same patterns as the psalms, um, so I've entitled my uh, message today as Habakkuk's Psalm. We open up, don't we, in verse 1 with a prayer, a prayer of Habakkuk. So the psalms were, were mostly prayers, weren't they, to be to be sung, uh, a, a sung, a song, sung, a sung praise um, of prayer, a prayer of praise. We also have in uh, verse 1, upon Shigai Onoth. We talked very briefly about that last time because there is some uh, difference of opinion as to what that meant, but it would suggest again that it was a, a form of song. So again, helping us to understand it as a psalm. In verse 19, we conclude with to the chief singer upon my stringed instruments. That's very similar to some of the instructions that David gives, isn't it? To, to the chief musician um, and such like. So here is Habakkuk telling the chief singer and the musicians to be ready to sing and prepare this psalm to be sung. Also interspersed throughout um, the, the chapter or the psalm, you'll see the word selah. Now again, this is another word that seems to have a uh, divided opinion. The, the one that, the, the opinion I like most and find fitting is that it's generally to be considered as a refrain. Pause. Spurgeon said something along the lines of, and well might we pause as we meditate upon what we've just read. So I always take that as a little tip from Spurgeon to me. If you see the word sila, just double back. Why are we pausing here? What are we reflecting on? And it's usually some great truth that's been shared. Um, so uh, that helps me. So hopefully it will help you too. But what we have here, what in chapter 3, if you remember and follow through with Habakkuk, that we have seen his dialogue with God. He, he poured out and said, why? Why is this happening? Why is Judah being so badly behaved? And God responded, I'll judge Judah. I'll send Babylon. Why are you sending a worse nation to judge Judah? I'll judge Babylon also. And the message got through to Habakkuk that God is in control. God has it all sorted. Judah was at fault. Babylon is at fault. God would judge them both. God is in control. There's a couple of helpful bits to to think about uh, before we start into chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 1. I laboured this point quite a lot because it became my favourite verse. I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon the tower and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he's the, the, it's beginning to dawn on Habakkuk. I'll stand, I'll look out, I will wait for God to answer me. And then God answers again. And what leads us nicely, and I don't know the time frame be, between chapters at all, if there was one or if it was just a continuous outpouring. Um, but verse 
20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So that is how we lead into chapter 3. Let all the earth keep silence before God. He is in his holy temple. Be silent, be still, listen, be ready. And we looked last time at verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. What I intend to do today is go from verse 3 to verse 16. And then, God willing, next time, close out the psalm. It's, it's, it's helpful sometimes to take a big piece and look at it all in its entirety. And then if if time permits, come back and look at the detail. Sometimes it's good to see the whole, to build a big picture. That is why we read um, Song of Solomon to start the service, because it's just a superlative after a superlative to help us understand this is my beloved. Why is he my beloved? Because of this, this, this and this. And that is why we read Psalm 44. Because there is a building up there of what God has done, what, how God has delivered the people, how God has prepared the way for them, and their boast will be in God alone. So in chapter 3, we have a list of characteristics and attributes of God that will help us to understand his character. So we're going to rattle through them very quickly and not in detail and not absolutely but just to give you an understanding of verse by verse and then uh, we'll focus in on three themes that have come out of that so if we were to look at verse three and i will go quickly through these so um, you can you can follow up at home if you so uh, are so inclined God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, apparently I had to do some researching around this. This has reference to Mount Sinai and also then perhaps also to the wilderness roundabout. So we are reminded very early on in this psalm that God gave the law. God gave them the people, their structure, their law, their way of worship. His glory covered the heavens earth was full of his praise the whole earth is full of his praise the creation sings his praise verse 4 he is light and his brightness was as the light he had horns coming out of his hands now horns is often used to talk about strength or power or might so in this instance they say it could also be just shafts of light coming from his hands just another graphic image of the light but we can take the horns also to stand for power because what follows, there was the hiding of his power. Now, God has created the world, but his power is hidden. He hasn't revealed his full power. This is just some of his power to create the world. Verse 5, we have reference to the pestilence and the burning coals. God sent the plagues upon Egypt. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. Again, just the magnitude of God to measure the earth. He drove the nations. He's in control. He's in control of the nations, no matter how powerful they may be. The mountains were scattered. Again, he is in control of creation. His ways are everlasting. He is eternal. Verse 7 is quite an interesting one. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. 
So we're talking here about, and we'll touch more on this um, briefly later on, Babylon took over large swathes of, of the globe, but it didn't take everybody. The, 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 the nomadic tribes were still sort of roaming around on their own. They, even they tremble before God. If we look at verse 10, the mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the waters passed by. All these obstacles, these mountains and rivers and seas just are parted and removed. All obstacles are removed before God. Verse 11, we see of the sun and the moon stood still. Again, creation is in his hands. Verse 12, he marched through. Again, he just marched through the land. He's in control. Verse 15 is something similar. Verse 13, salvation is mentioned. He saved his people. Verse 14, they would be destroyed. The enemies would be destroyed. Thou didst strike through with his staves. And again, reminder that uh, his enemies would be destroyed. And that all takes us through to verse 16. And this is a very interesting response from Habakkuk. He's listed all these great attributes of God. He knows what God is going to do because God has told him in chapter 2 that he's going to destroy Babylon. He's going to judge Judah. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. That was a response to what God had done and what God was going to do. That was the response of a man who has been in direct communion and dialogue with God. And that is a challenge for us, isn't it? To have such dialogue and communion with God that we feel his presence, we see what a great God he is. But then to summarise that portion into three helpful points, we will see that God is all-powerful. We'll see that God is in control and we'll see that God is salvation. Firstly then, God is all-powerful. There is a word that is used to describe all-powerful and it is omnipotent. And it breaks down very nicely into two parts, omni and potent. Now potent, obviously, you might have come across that more often, which means power or powerful. And omni, O-M-N-I, means all or universal. So put the two together, God is all powerful. We use the same sort of phrase, don't we, for all knowing, omniscience, omniscience, knowledge, all knowledge. So God knows everything. (coughs) But God is all powerful. Now what Habakkuk is doing here is reacting to what he has discussed in chapters 1 and 2. Babylon is powerful. Babylon is powerful. Babylon is doing this. Oh, hold on. God is all powerful. God can do all things. Babylon's power is limited. Babylon is not 
all-powerful. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that it was the most powerful nation on the, world, on the earth at that time. It was a powerful nation, but it wasn't all-powerful. What we see in verse 4 is an interesting phrase. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hands and there was the hiding of his power. His power was veiled. Now, can you imagine having that much power and that not being it? Having more in reserve. We like to um, watch um, on, a, on an annual basis the world's strongest man when it comes on. And you will see them doing some incredible things, but they will practically always reach the point of failure where they cannot lift any more or cannot move an object any further and they stop because they physically cannot move the thing any further and you'll often see their bodies break down you know like they'll have nosebleeds they'll pass out their back will go their knee will pack in or something like that their bodies have been pushed to their absolute limit and they can do no more and quite often they still don't even win the event so it is, or not at all, with God. He has veiled his power, reined it back, and has shown something of his power, but yet so much more. I've created the world. I've created light. That's not the power. That's not it all. What we saw with Babylon was the extent of its power. Babylon invaded and conquered and took as much as it could until it could take no more until it was taken over. We, we see with, um, with Christ when he was transfigured, we see something of his glory, don't we, on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. We see something there, but it would still be veiled because the disciples would not have been able to take any more than what they could see there. God is all-powerful. And just using Habakkuk's psalm here we can see references made to the plagues that were in egypt god sent the plagues to break egypt god parted the red sea so that it, that, that israel could walk through god destroyed egypt their great captors their great enemy was destroyed he shapes and measures the earth now, it's only really in the last sort of uh, short period of time that people have been truly able to sort of get a measure of the earth. But even still, we don't know how deep the oceans are properly, do we? We don't know. Um, there was that plane that went down somewhere over Malaysia. We still haven't found that, have we? How can something that size disappear and man not be able to find it? Where do blue whales go? Uh, we don't know. We still don't know these things. We still have so much that we don't know. But God has shaped, built, shaped and measured the earth. But there's an interesting comparison between God and Babylon. In chapter 1, verse 6, part of Habakkuk's complaint is responded to by God. And God said, lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. I'll raise up Babylon and they'll march through the land. Chapter 3, verse 12 of speaking of God. 
Thou did march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Verse 15. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. Babylon marched through the land and was given the land. God is said to have marched through the land in indignation. Thresh the heathen in anger. So Babylon was going to be destroyed. That destroyer was going to be destroyed. Babylon thinks it's powerful and indeed it was to a point. But God would destroy the destroyer. In chapter 3 verse 6 we read, His ways are everlasting. God and his ways are everlasting. In chapter 3 verse 14, Thou didst strike through with his staves. So the very nations would be destroyed by their own weaponry, by their own selves. Um Babylon ultimately got too decadent, didn't it? And too um, comfortable in its own ways and they were taken out. We read, don't we, their days, in, in Daniel we read, their days were numbered. Numbered, numbered, weighed and divided as, as the, 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 the prophecy went. And indeed they were, that night Belshazzar was uh, destroyed. But we can see also in uh, in this reference to um, people like Haman. Haman was hanged on his own gallows. And um, Daniel's uh, accusers were the ones who died in the lion's den, not Daniel. So they will be destroyed by their own staves. Verse 7, I touched on this as well. The tents of Kushan in affliction. The whole earth is God's, not just parts of the earth. Babylon conquered and had a great scope of its empire. But it was a limited empire. It was limited in scope. It was limited in time. The whole earth is God's. Where is Babylon now? The land is primarily Iraq, which is mostly desert. Um, and has pretty much been uh, destroyed in recent years. The empire has gone and pretty much been forgotten, apart from people who read the Bible and people who study ancient history. And that's just from Habakkuk's selection that he shared in his psalm. There is no limit to God. He is infinite. And this is the first point of comfort that Habakkuk shared with the people. God is all-powerful. So despite what's going on in the world, we can draw comfort from the fact that God is all-powerful. Nations might think they're powerful. Russia tried to exercise its power, didn't it? We've seen the limit of Russia's power. Uh, as Les mentioned this morning, there's, there's fighting in the Middle East, there's fighting in Africa, there's trouble in Asia. These nations rise up against nations. They think they're strong, but they find their limits. And all of these empires have their time. God is all-powerful. And being all-powerful, God is in control. 
Now, this is one of those points that it took Habakkuk a while to grasp. Hence, chapters 1 and 2, which is effectively him coming to this point. We, we touched on chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set upon the tower. And will watch and I will wait. I'll wait for God to come back to me again to, to explain further what he's going. We're often the same, aren't we? It takes us a while to grasp and sometimes we haven't even properly grasped it. God is in control. Why? Is this happening? Why is there war in Ukraine? Why is there famine in Africa? Why are people here facing cost uh, concerns and worries? Why are these things happening? Why are things happening to me? Sometimes we see answers to these, then it might be years down the line and you can look back and say, I understand now. I can see how that worked out. Sometimes we just have to accept and we'll look back and not see. Why has this happened? It has happened because God has deemed it to happen and it is not necessarily my need to know. As we said with God and his power being veiled, sometimes his uh, instruction or knowledge is veiled he does not share everything with us all he has shared everything we need to know and he has shared in effect more than we need to know but he doesn't share everything that we need to know my ways are not your ways and my understanding is not your understanding another man who had a dialogue with god was job who was put through such trial and his three comforters came to him and told him he was doing something wrong and needed to sort himself out. And he responded and there was toing and froing. But then the Lord spoke to them. And we read these in the last few chapters. And chapter 38 of Job opens up with these words, where were you when I formed the earth? There's a challenge. I'm God. In the heavens, I created the earth. Why should I give you everything that is happening? Where were you? Can you understand these things? Are you God to understand these things? And then there's a few chapters of uh, God speaking to uh, Job and his friends. And the final chapter opens up with the, the basic points. Now I see. Now I see your ways because you have explained them to me further. I didn't understand. That's why I spoke and acted in the way I did. But now I see. And we want, if we want to get to that place, we have to study the scriptures more, don't we? We have to understand God more. Who is God? What has he done in the past? What has he promised to do in the future? We won't get the answer to every minute personal detail, but we will get an understanding of who God is and why he acts in certain ways. Now I see the principle behind this. Now I understand that might help me in my personal, individual situation. God is in control. Even just looking through this psalm again, we see that God creates and sustains the earth. God is in control. He created the earth, he sustains it, he keeps it turning. We're doing our best, aren't we? to destroy the earth with wars and um, 
over over um, consumption but it's still a beautiful place it's still a beautiful earth and it will remain until God deems time he delivered his people from captivity to the promised land he delivered his people he gave them the law and we touched on that from verse 3 he gave them the law the way of um, worshipping him He has given us these instructions. Even the giving of this prophecy, this psalm, is a sign that God is in control. Because this was about 20 years before they went into captivity. Take this psalm, learn this psalm, read who God is, read what God has done, and it will bless you while you are in captivity. It was a comfort for them whilst they were there. Habakkuk encouraged himself and his readers and his hearers by looking back at history. But we can also look back over this same history, but we can look back on more history. We can look back on the New Testament as well. That takes us very nicely into the third uh, point, that God is salvation. Verses 12 and 13 um, are very helpful. In verse 13, we read the word salvation twice. Verse 12, thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. And there, if we take the point I made earlier about the word sila, let's pause there and let's think about those two verses again, especially verse 13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. But step back a bit further. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. There's some interesting words. Indignation, thresh, anger. Thou went forth for the salvation of thy people, even for the salvation with thine anointed. So here is a parallel to Babylon, but also a contrast with Babylon. Verse 6, I will raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling place that is not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. So there's a difference, isn't there, there? The Lord went forth in anger and and indignation for the salvation of his people. It takes us back to verse 2, doesn't it, very nicely. In wrath, remember mercy. And this is God's wrath and mercy in action. Here we have a, a twofold meaning. Salvation is used here to describe the, the, the leading of people like Moses and Joshua who fought in the battle. And even with Joshua there, we jump back to verse 11 with the sun and the moon being held in their place. 
so that Joshua could fight the battle. So we have the actual physical sense of the meaning of the salvation. The people were delivered. But there's clearly a spiritual meaning. Salvation with the anointed. And again, this has a dual meaning. The anointed can also be the one chosen in the battle, like Moses, and particularly mentioned is Joshua, because it has the same name, doesn't it? Saviour. Joshua led the people in battle. But it clearly has a dual meaning and points towards Jesus Christ. And you can look again, can't you, and, and see further parallel. Thou woundest their head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck. So again, here is the wounding of the head that takes us back to Genesis um, chapter 3, doesn't it? Where Satan's head was uh, crushed under the bruised heel. But also there is the, the current reference to the deliverance and the crushing of the empires that stood up against God's people, that stood up against God from the very foundation to the neck. So the head's been crushed and the rest of the body's been destroyed and completely obliterated. Babylon has gone. The Medes and the Persians have gone. These empires have fallen. Those who um, block or try to stand up against God have been destroyed or are being destroyed and will be destroyed. Again, the links back to God is all-powerful and that God is in control see its fulfilment in the plan of salvation. God is salvation and he is all-powerful and in control and has fulfilled his plan of salvation. Habakkuk looked back primarily, but he also looked forward to the anointed one. We look back to the same history that Habakkuk looked on. We look back also to Calvary, which we don't know how much Habakkuk understood, but he was touching forward to this. But we look back with great detail to Calvary, to the finished work. It is finished, was one of the things he said from the cross. We look back to this. But we also look forward. We look forward to the second coming. God had told Habakkuk that he was coming to judge both Judah and also Babylon. And he did. Judah was judged 20 years later. Babylon um, had an empire of about 70 years further from that point or so. But they were judged and their end came. We are looking forward to the second coming when Jesus comes again for two purposes. To judge the world, to judge all the nations, all of the people, and also to take his people home, to be with him. This is a both a chilling message and a comforting message. How is it with you today? How do you stand today? 
Verses 6 and 10, Just if you read behind them, you can see something of, he stood, he measured the earth, he beheld and drove asunder the nations, cleared the nations out of the way. The everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills did bow. Verse 10, the mountains saw thee and they trembled. The overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered his voice, lifted up his hands on high. These <coughs> physical objects have been dispersed. They have been cleared away. There are no more obstacles in God's way. So it is with salvation. There are no obstacles in the way. Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those who are burdened by trying to fulfil the law, forget. Come to Jesus. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one who can take away your sins. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from an eternity in damnation. Trust in Jesus Christ. Come to Christ today and trust in him to be your God as he is my God, as he is 